What's up, fam? You guys awake tonight? All right. I'm only going to take 10 more seconds to ask you one more time. Are you awake tonight? Okay, good. Because I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited to be in church. Anybody excited to be in church? Look, this is the best place to be. Come on. It's the best place to be on a Tuesday night. And in church is the best place to be, period, in life. Anybody notice that the world seems to be getting a little crazier? The world seems to be getting a little bit darker. And, you know, sometimes we can find that to be a discouragement. We can let that stir up fear. We can let that stir up doubt. We can let that make us sad. Or we can understand that light shines brightest in contrast to darkness. Light is most prominent in darkness. If you walk into a fully lit room and you turn on a flashlight, it's hardly noticeable. Sometimes that's what church is like. You walk in here and you're shining so brightly, but the light is here. And so you blend right in with the rest of the light. However, maybe you walk into some other environments and you stick out a little bit more. Because if you turn on a flashlight in a pitch black room, it starts to seem useful. Right? Light seems useful when it's dark around. You guys agree? I feel like you guys are really silent. I mean, I understand it's a simple concept. But it felt like you guys were tracking with me. And then it seemed like I may have lost you. The, 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 room, the room is dark. You turn on a light and it's very noticeable. Light is very noticeable in the midst of darkness. And sometimes what we're looking at that masks itself as scary or doom is just dark. And Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And he says that you are, when you are in Christ, you are the light of the world. Have you been feeling like the light of the world? Have you been acting like the light of the world? Have you been thinking like you are the light of the world. I think it's time for the church to be the light of the world. But that's only going to happen if we decide to be. It's not just going to happen passively. You're not going to stick out and be distinguished by accident. You'll blend in by accident because you're just going with the flow but you're not actually going to stand out and make a difference and be a light by accident. Does anybody want to be a light? Being a light sounds good, right? Things are dark. Light brings hope. Light brings a sense of peace. Has anybody seen those videos on social media where people like are immersed in darkness for days? Anybody seen that by a show of hands? Anybody? Okay, so a few of us. I haven't done a deep study on it, I've just seen them kind of come across my feed and people have these like, 
these super strong sleep masks on that's blocking out all light and they're in darkness for days. And there are these videos of people taking off the mask and just coming back into the real world. And some people start crying. Almost everybody starts smiling. There's something special that happens when you go from darkness into light. And I think it's important that we pay attention to the analogies and the illustrations that that God uses when he describes himself, when he describes us, when he describes our surroundings. And I think it's more important than ever that we know who we are. It's more important than ever that we know who we are. I feel like we're in a critical point in history. I genuinely believe that. I, I don't feel like we are just in a random point on the timeline of humanity. I feel like we're in a critical point. And I feel like God wants to do something special in his people, for his people, through his people, but we have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of where we are, what we're surrounded by, and what we are supposed to be in the midst of where we are. So I wanted us to take a dive tonight into a passage of scripture, an area of scripture, particularly the life of a person that I think emulates this very well. Anybody ever heard of a man named Daniel? Has anybody ever heard of Daniel and the lion's den? It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You may not know anything about the Bible, but you probably have some level of familiarity with Daniel and the lion's den. And it's not a big spoiler when I tell you that God saves Daniel from a den of lions. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. I actually want to do a two-part message. I want to talk about it tonight and again next week. Uh, But I want us to walk a little bit more slowly through who Daniel is, where he is, and looking at his life because he is a significant figure in the Bible. And to be a significant figure in the Bible, you have to kind of be a significant figure in the world and in life as a whole. I've said this many times, but I think about it often. I mean, for billions of people, billions of people are on the planet right now. Then you look back over the thousands of years that we've been here, how many billions of people have lived? And then how many people has God documented their lives as an example for people to look at? Not many in comparison to all of the people who have lived. And so for Daniel, I mean, he's a world-class Christian in my book. I mean, he is not only um, of high social status and influence and power, uh, but he also interprets dreams. He's a prophet. He sees the end, end of the world, all kinds of stuff. He has a very interesting life. And I think that there are some things that we can learn from his life because I believe that God captured it for a reason. And so I just want to pray over us real quick, and then I want us to do some reading tonight. So, Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are a light. You are the light of the world, Lord, and you want to shine light into our hearts, into our minds. Lord, so many of us are inundated with darkness. So many of us, all we take in is darkness, and we don't even realize it. Lord, with with social media, entertainment, all of the things that we fill our minds with, fill our thoughts with, God. So many of us have so much darkness. 
residing in our hearts and residing in our minds, making us fearful, making us anxious, making us worried, making us doubtful, making us discouraged, Lord. And I just pray that you would lead us to a place of light, lead us to a place of peace. Lord, lead us along paths of righteousness for your name's sake, because that is what you do. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a different outlook on life. Lord, you would show us that your way is the way, the way that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. God, I pray that you would shine a great light in this place tonight, that you would enlighten us, God, that you would give us eyes to see. And so Lord, help us to focus on what you are saying tonight. I pray that you speak to your sons and your daughters in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we are talking about lessons from the lion's den. And I want us to start in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to start from the very beginning of this period of Daniel's life in this particular situation. Because many of us know about the lion's den, but we don't know how he ended up there. So Daniel 6, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That may sound like a little confusing, but here's what's happening. Darius is a king who has just taken over the land. Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians because they had rebelled against God. And so he had allowed an empire to take them over for a period of time. And then Darius comes in and he from Persia takes over the Babylonian empire. And so now he is in charge. Daniel is chosen as one of his three high officials. And the responsibility of these officials was to oversee the entire kingdom. It says that he had put 120 satraps in charge. Those are just officials over provinces. And so if you think there's 120 cities, there's an official over each city. And then there are three high officials that all of these provincial officials report to. And the whole idea was Darius wanted to keep track of his money and his resources. And so he wanted to keep a a tight reign on taxation and on everything that was taking place. And so he set a leadership structure in place. Daniel was a captive from from Judah. And so Daniel was one of the Israelites and he was captured. And yet he's in this position of influence overseeing the entire kingdom. And it says that Darius actually had planned to set him over the entire kingdom. And so I want to take a couple lessons from what's going on in Daniel's life. And the first thing that I want to talk about is this, in Lessons from the Lion's End, I want to talk about the power of competence. The power of competence. And here's what competence is. Competence is the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. It's about being good at what you do. Because what we look at here is Daniel is not entitled to anything here. He was actually taken captive. Imagine being dragged out of your city, taken captive, and then you end up in charge of the whole place that you were taken captive to. Why was he in this kind of position? 
Well, it says that there was an excellent spirit in him and he became distinguished above all of the other officials. I wanna ask you a question. Do you have a desire to carry any level of influence? Can I, can, can I get an honest answer? Does anybody not want any level of power, any level of influence in life? Raise your hand if you do not want that at all. Very, very few of you. I don't see any hands. So each and every one of you wants a level of influence. Why? I believe it's because you want to feel significant and you want to make a difference. We're looking at somebody who God put in a, in a place, in a position of immense influence, especially based on his circumstances and based on his situation. And can I tell you, true influence comes from God. True influence comes from God. We can try to scrap for it and scrape for it and push for it and try to attain it, but, but real, genuine influence and power comes from God. And what you really want is you want to be put in position by God. You don't want to just get to the place that you have planned for yourself because what you have planned for yourself is a weaker, more stale version of the plan that God has for you. God wants to put you in a position of influence. I know that because he's called you to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you cannot make a disciple that you have no influence over. You cannot impact anybody's decision-making and have no influence over them. That's kind of how it works. God puts you in a position where he allows you to have a certain level of influence over people to help them make the right decisions. So that's what we see taking place with Daniel is this isn't just random. God isn't just putting him in a place where he has a lot of attention. And sometimes we're getting influence and attention confused because of our current society. You can have a lot of attention and zero influence because people can have their eyes on you, but you have no impact on their thinking. And what you want to do is have influence over people's thinking, not so that you can manipulate them, but so that you can move them to Jesus. Some people get it. It's not about... It's, it's not about having influence so that you can convert somebody's religion. It's about you having influence so that you can bring people to what they are needing. The light of the world. What needs light? Darkness. We are all hungry in our soul, starving in our soul, in need of relationship with God. And we only get relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I'm not talking about just being good at talking people into stuff and convincing people to do something and giving yourself a pat on the back. No, I'm talking about this is life or death. I'm talking about we need Jesus. And when you really get that in your soul, when you really embrace that idea, you will want influence 
because you will be watching people every day missing out on what they need. You will be watching people starving every day and you know what they need. And that stirs a desire for influence in you, a healthy desire for influence in you. And that's what we see taking place here. God is not just giving Daniel a position of attention. He's giving him a a strategic position of power and influence because even when they were in captivity, God still had good plans for them. God still had good plans for his people, even in a foreign land. And God in his grace put one of his own people over the entire place so that his will could be carried out and he would be able to influence the king. Think about this. Daniel had so much influence over the king that the king wanted to put him in charge of everything. Think about what kind of power that is. And depending on whose hands that's in, that can either do a lot of good or it can do a lot of damage. And so we have to ask the question, why was he put in this position? And it says it right here. He became distinguished. And you look at this as a pattern throughout Daniel's life. He always ends up in a position of significance and leadership. And I would say it's one of the keys is the power of competence. He was good at what he did. Nobody just put somebody random in a position of influence because it's a huge responsibility and requires the person who has the ability to put influence in in your hands, they have to trust it in your hands. And nobody's gonna trust you because you're likable. They're going to trust you because you have a proven track record of being able to handle what they want to give you. The power of competence. And this is, I believe, missing in a lot of our understanding of Christianity because many of us, we wanna step into a calling with nothing but faith. We wanna step into a calling with nothing but prayer. But Daniel was chosen by somebody who didn't even know God because he was good at what he did. And what you see in his life, and if you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were some of his friends. They always stood out because they were good at what they did. And what that did was made people say, I'm interested in their God because they're good at what they do. And they just end up standing out in the midst. What does your level of competence look like in the place God has you positioned right now? Your workplace. Many of us, we're in a place that we don't feel like God has placed us in. And so we don't treat it like God has placed us there. And so we don't seek to develop competency there. And what happens is we end up in this revolving cycle of expecting God to move us to a new place with no new competencies. Yet the place that you are in is a place where God is developing multiple things in you. And one of them is competence. God himself is wise and will not place important things in the hands of somebody who has no idea what to do with them. 
But I know that many of us, it's challenging our paradigm and the narrative that we've believed when it comes to how God places us in calling. Because many of us, we have fully bought into the narrative that God always uses underdogs and unlikely people to do significant things. And it's not that that's not true. But when God uses somebody who's unlikely, it doesn't mean he's using somebody who is unprepared. When God uses somebody who is unlikely, it does not mean he's using somebody who is incapable. And there's a difference. Moses, we know that when God shows up to Moses and tells him, go speak to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go so that they may worship me. Moses responds and says, go find somebody else. I'm not cut out for it. I don't even speak well. And we know that part of the story. And so we say, well, Moses, many of us believe he had a speech impediment. He had all kinds of issues. And he, he wasn't even good at what he did. And yet God put him over millions of people because it was about three million people that he led out of Egypt. But when we look at Moses' life, that's not exactly what happens. Moses was raised in the royal house. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. Moses was raised in the house that ran the whole nation. Developing an understanding of how to run a nation. Developing the competency to be able to do what God would ultimately have him doing. Then when he leaves there, he becomes a shepherd. Then he's shepherding and overseeing sheep. And what we see all throughout scripture is God likens and compares all of his leaders to shepherds. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. David, one of the most prominent figures in scripture, was a shepherd. Competency. God did not waste any seasons of their lives leading up to significant moments. God is not wanting to waste this season of your life while you just wait and pray. God wants you to wait, pray, and develop yourself. What are you putting your hands to? And let me tell you why this is important. Because many of us, we have too much time to do stuff that's damaging to ourselves and to the church. Here's what I mean. When you are not developing yourself, you're arguing with people on social media. When you're not developing yourself, you're at all of the events that everybody else is going to. When you are not developing yourself, you have too much time to spend entertaining yourself and getting yourself into trouble. When you are not focused on and developing competency, you are exchanging that time for something else. And we as the church, we can't afford to waste all of our time. When so much hangs in the balance, when we have no influence, it matters. And much of the decision as to whether you're gonna have influence in people's lives or not is in your hands. Jesus paid the price for your sins. He will send you his Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit fills us and comes upon us when we, when we place our faith in Christ. We then have everything that we need to do what he's calling us to do, but we have to do it. But sometimes we're waiting around for God to like kick in our door, shake us out the bed and say, I've called you to this and I have placed everything in the living room that you will need for this calling, including all the abilities that you need. I've placed five years of experience in the living room for you so that you don't have to get five years of experience. Daniel was not put in a position of power by some random choice. He had competency that distinguished him above all the other people. What would it look like if more Christians just developed more in this area and we weren't so often second tier in what we do because we're trying to copy the world? So often we're, we're settling for us being a copy of what we see in the world and a lesser version of what we see in the world when God wants you to be a standard setter for people around you. How could you, with God living in you, be second rate to somebody who has no relationship with God? Why? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says this. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And I, and I think it's, he's asking this question because this is how we act so often. I, if I ask myself that question on a daily basis, I'm gonna have to answer it honestly and be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not always acting like that. I don't always wake up in the morning like God's spirit actually dwells in me. And you know how I know that? Because I still have worries and fears and doubts. I get discouraged. And I just know, though that's an aspect of being human, I'm not always really operating like I am the temple of God, like if God really dwells in me, how do I not have everything that I need? And why would I not be moving from a place of fullness and peace and abundance in my soul? Why would I be moving from a place of lack? Why would I be thinking from a place of lack if God dwells in me? He must not live in me. Or I must not acknowledge it. But we see with Daniel, it makes it very clear. Daniel became extinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Which when we look at the power of competence, we have to look at it from this angle as well. That Daniel wasn't just good at what he did. He was endowed with power by God to be good at what he did, but he had to walk in it. Do you not know that the spirit of God lives in you? 
why would you have all the same limitations as everybody else? Daniel is a picture of what happens when the spirit of God dwells in somebody. They live in their calling and they are placed in positions. Pay attention. to When I say influence, it's not always about prominence. And it's not always about things being pretty. Influence is not always the royal palace. Sometimes influence is on the ground. Sometimes influence is in gritty places. Sometimes influence is in places that other people can't have it. Sometimes God wants to place you in a position of influence to influence people that other people are just walking by, that other people can't influence. Sometimes there's influence that needs to take place with the poor. But nobody's typically looking at that. So please pay attention when I say influence. I'm not talking about just prominence and that because God's spirit dwells in you, you're going to be of high social status. It's not so much about that. But it is about, is there a multiplication happening through you where people are having needs met, being saved, Meeting Jesus is the work of the kingdom of God flowing through you. And if that's the case, it should be done in excellence. We cannot be half-hearted Christians. We should be the most excellent people on the planet. Why would we not be? How could we not be? If God were doing your work, how would it be done? If God were doing your job, how would it be done? If God were walking in your calling, how would he do it? In excellence. In excellence. There's no question in my heart that God would carry everything that I have with excellence and would do it to the best of his ability. And so if I have no doubt about that, then I understand that the expectation on my life is to do the same. And I know in Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24, it says this, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. No matter the situation you are in, the circumstances you are in, unemployed, underemployed, well-employed, you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, I know it's a painful clap, right? But whatever you do, do it from the heart. And please hear my heart on this. This is not me coming from the place of, I've perfected this. I have this all together. Listen to my life coach sermon. That's not my heart on this, but I'm passionate about this. And I'm as passionate about this with myself as I am with you. There is a huge calling on our lives and we cannot be stagnant and stale as the church. And I don't wanna just gather together and sing songs and say, whoo, that was a good word. 
and then go back and do nothing. That's not what I want to do. If God is real, and if Jesus is real, and everything he says is true, then what we are talking about is of the utmost importance. And if there is an expectation on your life to do something, what we're talking about is of the utmost importance. If every step of your life is ordered by the Lord, then what we're talking about is of the utmost importance because how you do what you do matters. And if your life is no longer your own, because you have submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, my life is no longer my own. The old has gone, the new has come. The person I was is dead, I am alive in Christ, and I am a new creation. And now what I do matters. He did not save me to sit me down somewhere and have me hide all the treasure he's given me. He saved me to send me into the world as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ, carrying a message of reconciliation, imploring the world, be reconciled to God. God loves you. He wants to know you. God speaks to me. He wants to speak to you. God brings me peace. He wants to bring you peace. And yet, much of the church sounds just like the world and therefore carries no influence with the world because you bring nothing different to the world. But if you will bring the light of Jesus to the world, you will carry influence with the world. How do we do that? It's not just about yelling out scriptures at people. We see how God moves very strategically that even how you do your work is evangelism. How you show up at work is you proclaiming the gospel. How you present yourself reflects how you view yourself. Are you here on purpose? Did God create you? Did he wake you up? Does he have you here for a reason today? If so, that should be reflected in how you live your life. And to somebody who does not believe that God loves them, how you live your life believing God loves you should draw them to the love of God, should stand out to them. But if you're just in the same place as they are and you got the same problems they have and you're just as upset and you're just as depressed and you are just as discouraged, as everybody else, how is the light of Jesus shining through you? And here's why I'm telling you this. It is not to bash you because you're struggling. And it is not to bash you because you feel discouraged or because you are sad. But it is to say that if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and if he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, by prayer and petitioning God, make your requests known to him with thanksgiving. 
And then the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. If that's true, when is it going to happen in your life? And could it be that it's not happening because you're not doing what he said? Could it be that you're anxious because you carry all your anxieties and you walk around with them and you hold them and you do not present them to God and you do not make requests to God and perhaps you make accusations to God and perhaps you make demands of God or perhaps you don't speak to him at all and you carry around your anxieties instead of embracing the gift of being able to cast your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. This is the message of the gospel. This is the light of the world. That as anxiety is skyrocketing in society because godlessness is skyrocketing in society, can you see how these things are correlated? Can you see the parallel trajectory that as we reject God, we become more anxious, we become more depressed, we become more fearful? But also, there should be a contrast within the body of Christ that as we embrace God. And as we obey God, we become more peaceful. We become more loving. We become more patient. We become more kind. We become more gracious. We have healthy relationships. We have healthy friendships. We have healthy marriages. We know how to parent our kids. And our lives aren't falling apart all over the place. And that should be a light in the world. So it's so important that we take lessons from scripture when he gives that to us. And so the first thing is the power of competence. It's so important that you focus on competency. Be good at what you do. What has God called you to do? Be good at it. If you don't know what God has called you to do, then do what you're doing right now with excellence. You can never go wrong with being good at what you're doing. You can go wrong with being bad at what you're doing. And there's nothing worse than not knowing what to do next and doing what you're doing right now poorly. Because how is there going to be a door open for you if you're doing what you're doing poorly? If you show up late, if you show up lazy, if you show up with an attitude, who's going to open the next door for you? Surely not God. And so it's so important how we do what we do, the power of competence. The whole message could be on that, but it won't be. The second thing I want to talk about is the importance of character, the power of competence. And now we want to look at the importance of character. The next few verses say this. After it says that Daniel was distinguished and the king wanted to put him in a position of power, it says this. The high officials and the satraps, the people who he was over, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was, say it, he was what? He was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We don't like the fact that he's so good at what he does that even the worldly king wants to put him in charge over us. So what we're going to do is we're going to conspire to ruin his reputation. But we can't find a way. 
because he's given us nothing to work with. How is that in your life? If people want to ruin your reputation, is it difficult? I'll ask you this question. If somebody wants to ruin your reputation, do they have to lie or just tell the truth? If someone wants to ruin your image, ruin your reputation, do they have to make up something that's not true or just tell the honest truth? This is what we have to look at. And I want to tell you this from the platform of a preacher. Because what I know is that now in the world that we live in, it's becoming less and less common for somebody to be up here talking and out there living, and those things are consistent. But can I tell you, that's no excuse for you and I to not uphold our own integrity. Your integrity matters. Your integrity matters. Who you are matters. Your character matters. And it especially matters if you want to make a difference in the world. It especially matters if you want to walk in a calling that God has placed on your life. Because a lot of people might look over your character, but God won't. And God cares deeply about your character. And I think it's so important that we pay attention to what we see here with Daniel, because he ends up in a rough situation. But he didn't just make it easy to put him in a bad situation. And, and here's what we're struggling with in the Christian world is we as Christians are often making it too easy for the world to talk bad about God by the way that we live. We make it too easy for the world to attack God's reputation by the way we carry our own reputations. And that's not how it's supposed to work. Jesus told his disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Not by how loud you talk, not by how good what you're saying is. They're gonna know that you're my disciples by something you can't fake, love by your genuine heart, by your character, by who you are internally and how that flows into your relationships. That's what God's trying to work on in your life. And many of us, we don't even realize how much the church is a pressure cooker for this. And so what happens is we get in church, we get saved, we make a decision to follow Jesus. We get around church people we stick around for a little while and then we realize how difficult it is to be in relationship with church people. And we leave. This is what happens with a lot of people because the church is a pressure cooker trying to develop your character. Because Jesus doesn't say, <laughs> the world's gonna know you're my disciples by the way you love one another because loving one another is easy. 
you're going to be one of the most diverse groups of people on the planet because it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your social status, it doesn't matter your income level. We all come together as one through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus is all kinds of people coming together in unity. And that is difficult. And the only way to accomplish it is by all of us submitting to the process of God developing our character. And that's where many of us are missing it. And so we don't often evaluate our actions based on the character that God expects for us to have. But God expects for us to have a certain level of character when we're carrying around his name. You represent God himself. How you represent him matters. And it's not about what you put in your bio. It's not about how many videos you make. It's not about what bumper sticker you have on your car. It's not about how much you give. Praise God that you are giving because that is a good sign that you love the Lord. However, if you are, it's easier to press a button and send some money. It's easier to write a check. It's easier to take money out my pocket than it is for me to be honest and be truthful and have difficult conversations, to maintain my integrity, to not take the easy way out. It's more difficult for me to do the inner work than some of the outward behaviors. But it's so important that we have character. And I believe this is a reason that God put Daniel in place. He was excellent in his work and he was pure in his ways. He was outstanding in his work and he was upstanding in his character. This was a great representation of God. What would the church look like if that could be said about each and every one of us? What would the church look like? Who would not want to be a part of us? If that could be said about each and every one of us. And here's the other side of of character is how the officials who accused him exercised their character. We see verses six through nine, it says this. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, all the people in charge, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Who you listen to matters. Because these people came to the king with bad intentions, bad motive, bad character, and made him make a bad decision because he listened to them. Who is in your ears? And what is the character of the people that you're listening to? Furthermore, what is your character... And how are you stewarding that and the influence you have in people's lives? They were willing to waste his time 
waste his energy, waste his resources, had the king establish a whole law just to attack Daniel, who's minding his business. As the king, I would be very upset. You guys are over all this stuff that I'm in charge of. I've placed you in a position of power. I've placed you in a position of influence. And this is how you're using it, to tear somebody down. There's no excuse for that. But these are the temptations that the enemy brings into our lives. And can I tell you, when the enemy is wanting you to accuse and to attack and to tear down somebody's reputation, you need to be careful. Because all of us, we want to see ourselves as Daniel in the situation, but somebody's got to be these people. And could it be that we are under temptation all day, every day to be these people? To tear people down. I see it all the time. The worst critics of Christians are Christians. You want to be discouraged? Go online as a Christian and ask, am I doing a good job? (laughs) Somebody will tear you to pieces in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Tear you to shreds. Seriously. I see it all the time. I saw somebody make an entire documentary about a pastor's life. I mean, just, I mean, he researched all his background, how he grew up, everybody he's been under. Bruh, (laughs) you're an adult. How do you have a conversation with God, give an account for your life? Yes, I used this eight hours to tear down this pastor and I put together a phenomenal documentary in your name to make sure he's not doing anything wrong. Oh, really? That's what you think I gave you that eight hours to do? You don't think I'm paying attention to what he's got going on? Are you supposed to spend your time tearing people down? And oh, wow, you got a lot of views on this. Oh, wow, you got a lot of followers from this. Oh, wow, look, now you have influence from tearing somebody down. That is the corniest way to go about your Christianity. We have to stop this tearing people down. That is not a reflection of the heart of God. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in the family of God. Amen? Amen. So your character matters, and it doesn't matter, honestly, what other people are doing. You have to take accountability for yourself. How How is my character? How am I operating? And the last thing that I want to talk about is the benefits of commitment. So we talked about the power of competence, the importance of character, and now I want to talk about the benefits of commitment. Because when We're going to look at what Daniel does. All this stuff happens. Daniel's minding his business. Daniel's being excellent at what he does. And the officials, they conspire against him, and they come up with this whole scheme. And here's how Daniel responds. Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I 
could preach the whole thing on this because I was, I was spoken to from reading this. I wasn't even planning on preaching this. It was like a personal study thing. And one of the things that I noticed is that when things got tough, Daniel didn't go develop a prayer life. He didn't start praying because things got difficult. He didn't go start praying out of desperation and he hadn't talked to God in a long time. He had a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of commitment. And so then when things hit the fan, he just went and did what he always did. What you do matters. Your habits, your disciplines, your connection with God and how you steward maintaining that matters. Because oftentimes what we do is we wait until things get so bad that we're just throwing stuff up at God. Daniel prayed three times a day, every day, and nobody asked him to. Nobody made him do it. Nobody was checking for him to do it. There were not a lot of people following God around him. He was the only one. He was in Babylon, which is the Bible's picture of evil. And this was the culture he lived in. And what he did was he maintained his connection to God and took ownership of it himself. And he had a lifestyle of prayer in the morning, in the middle of the day, at night. And look at how this paid off for him later on, where he didn't have to go freak out. He didn't have to go find a pastor. He didn't have to go find his grandmother. He didn't have to go scramble and figure out, oh my gosh, what do I do? Now they're challenging me. He went in peace to do what he always did. And here's what I love. His faith got tested, but that's not where his faith started. It's what, what he had already been doing all along is just now getting tested. So his prayer life was getting tested. Daniel, you pray three times a day. Praise God. Do you believe that he hears your prayers? Daniel, you pray all the time. You read the word. Amen. Do you believe that he will come through for you? Because what you do in a crisis shows what you really believe. What would you do in that situation? Would you go pray? Would you go home? Get on your knees and pray three times a day with the windows open. When things hit the fan for you, what do you do? What is your lifestyle? What are you committed to? Because there are benefits of commitment. What you're committed to matters. And I believe that God is inviting us into a higher way of living, a higher level of commitment, a higher level of focus in our lives. And for many of us, the blessing that we're looking for, the peace that we're looking for, the flourishing that we're looking for is on the other side of these simple decisions, taking life seriously. What you put your time to, what you put your hands to. Hey, if I'm going to put my hands to something, I'm not going to halfway do it. I'm going to make sure I'm focused. I'm excellent at it. 
I'm going to make sure that I'm obeying Jesus with how I live my life, how I make decisions, how I conduct myself and my character so that he can even trust me to be able to influence anybody. And I'm going to take hold of the benefits of commitment because you're going to hit difficult times. You are going to get challenged. The difference between getting destroyed and getting tested is honestly what you've been doing up until that point. Jesus said, the one who obeys my teaching is like one who builds his house on a rock so that when the wind comes, when the storms come, when the rains come, it will stand because it's been built already. What are you building? Because testing comes. You will go through difficult times, but difficult times don't have to take you out. And the, the double whammy that many of us get hit with is if we get hit with a difficult time that we weren't ready for, we weren't prepared for, our lifestyle wasn't conducive for, and now we lose a relationship, we lose a friendship, we lose a job. And now not only have we lost that thing, we've also lost our peace. But can I tell you that the health of your soul in the midst of a situation is not dependent on the situation. It's dependent on your commitment. Daniel was able to go through this difficult time with a healthy soul, maintaining his faith in God, maintaining his character, so that what we ultimately see in the end that we'll look into next week was able to take place without Daniel going into a depression. But many of us, we're going into a depression because our lives are not built on the rock. We have to not just believe, but build our life on the rock by obeying Jesus, by actually taking him seriously, by remaining committed to him. Amen? All right, so I'm gonna close here. I want you guys to stand to your feet and we're about to go into a special time. Whew! I'm excited for continuing to dive back into this next week, but here's where I wanted to close. Daniel was over 80 years old when this was taking place. And the children's books don't show that. They don't say that. They, Daniel in the lion's den, you think he's still a kid, but he wasn't a kid anymore. He was 80-something years old getting thrown into a den of lions. But can I tell you that him being faithful him being competent, him having his character and his commitment didn't start when he was 80. It started when he was young. And right now you are building your life. You are building your life. You're not just living your life. You're building your life. What you're doing right now, today, tomorrow, this is all building blocks, brick by brick. And you're headed somewhere. And Jesus makes it very clear. He said, those who obey what I'm saying, those who hear my words and do what I say are like those who are building their house on a rock and they will not fall when the storm hits. But those who do not listen, those who do not obey, 
are like a man who builds his house on the sand and he spends his whole life putting each piece in place, building a foundation, putting up all kinds of framing, decorating, and then a storm comes and crushes it, takes out his mind, takes out his family, takes out his relationships, takes out everything, and he built everything only to lose it. He says, and it fell with a great crash is what the analogy is. And so I wanna ask you tonight, what you are building and what you're building on, what are you building with? These things that we're talking about tonight are not just good advice, not just some good suggestions. We're talking about life with God. And I believe that God wants to call some of us to another level and specifically another level of commitment. And so here's what I know. What you commit your life to now matters. Daniel, when we're introduced to his story in chapter one, verses five through six, it says this, that they were taken captive. They're brought, they're like 14, 15 years old. And it's a bunch of them coming to a new land. And there's all, and now they're selected to be in the king's palace. And it says this, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And it says this in verse eight, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. What would it look like if you resolved to hold such a high commitment to God that you refused every offer of the enemy? What would your life look like if you just resolved? This is what I love about Daniel. He didn't waver. He just resolved. He chose 14, 15 years old. I'm not doing it. I'm going to live my life based on the foundation that God has given me. I believe that he's alive. I believe that what he says is true. I believe that he's with me. And come what may, I'm going to obey Jesus. And I just know that if you made the same resolution in your own heart, it would change your life. Maybe you made that resolve five years ago and it's been dwindling. You have an opportunity to resolve that today and to make a decision to follow Jesus today. And can I tell you, winds are gonna come, storms are gonna come, rain is gonna pour, floods are going to roll in. Things are going to get difficult because that's just how life works. But can I tell you, you can go through difficult times with a healthy soul, with faith in God, full of the spirit of God, excellent in what you do, a light in the world. And as the world gets darker, the church of Jesus Christ can shine brighter because you've chosen to do that. And so tonight we're gonna do something special. First, we're gonna have some baptisms tonight. And we have people, we have people who have already chosen and committed to getting baptized tonight. What's also gonna happen is, I believe some people who didn't initially plan to are gonna get baptized tonight. And here's what I want you to know, that making a decision to follow Jesus Christ, 
it leads to baptism. And here's why. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 that in baptism, we are buried into Christ's death. And when we come up out of the water, we are raised to new life. We identify with the death and the burial of Jesus. And we, are, we also identify with his resurrection that we become new. And so Jesus himself was baptized. His disciples were baptized. And he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because something spiritual happens through the physical act. And so if you are in here tonight and you know that God is drawing on your heart and you have not been walking with him, you have not been following Jesus, you have not been committed to him, you have not received the forgiveness of your sins or new life in him, you have an opportunity tonight to make a decision and to resolve in your heart to not defile yourself with the world, but to take on the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to take on the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. And what we are going to do is offer you the opportunity to not just lift your hand, to not just pray a prayer, but to also make a public declaration. This could be a game-changing night for you. I know there are some people in here that you're wrestling in your heart right now. And can I tell you, that's God calling you to make a step of faith. That's how it works. That's how faith works. It's uncertain. It's uncomfortable. But can I tell you, on the other side of that is the blessing of God, the presence of God, the peace of God, the provision of God, relationship with God. And so if that's you, if you're wanting to make a decision, First and foremost, I just want to see your hand. That's you. I see you. I see you. Come on. Come on. Oh, I'm getting excited. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Come on. Here's the deal. God's not going to change your life in private. He's not just going to bless you in private. And so you don't make a decision to follow him in private because after today, you're going to have to live for him in public anyway. So why not make a decision in front of everybody who's already made a decision to follow him? You're raising your hand. I raised my hand. So praise God. Look, if that's you, I want to savor this moment. I want to pray with you. And then we are going to send you to uh, right through the back doors and to the left. And we have everything that you need. If you want to get baptized tonight, we got to change your clothes for you. Everything that you need. So you got no excuse. All right. We got literally everything that you need. All right. So I want you to, I want you to pray with me. If that's you, I want you to understand how important this moment is. I want you to be present in this moment, understanding that God himself is present with you. You're present with him. And I want you to pray this prayer with me, but you're praying to God. Say, God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life, Jesus. And that you died on a cross to pay the price for my sinful life. I hear your call today 
to come live life with you and live life for you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I wanna live in my calling. I wanna live in my purpose. I wanna live with peace. I wanna be reconciled to you. And I want the eternal life that you offer me. So I receive your forgiveness and I repent for all of my sins, all of the ways that I've gone astray, and I completely turn away from my old life and I turn to you. You are my Lord, you are in charge. I will obey you, I will be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for everybody who just made that decision? So if that's you, Here's your moment. You can actually go right through those back doors right now as we're speaking. And I'm, I'm gonna do another prayer over each and every one of us. Like I said, you got everything that you need. I know that there are probably some extra people who didn't raise their hand. You guys are gonna slip out there as well. And I'm excited for you. But look, I just know, and I know I said it a lot tonight. I know that God wanted to do something special in this place tonight. I know he wanted to do something special in your life and in your heart tonight. And so I want to just lead you in a prayer of commitment. Because I believe that God has some phenomenal ideas that he's placed in you that you needed to understand the power of competence in. I believe that God has immense influence that he wants to give you, that you need to understand the importance of your character in. And I believe that God has a blessing, favor, and peace for you, even in the midst of challenges, but you have to understand the benefits of commitment. And I believe that if you embrace what God has spoken tonight, if you embrace what we saw in the word, you will see an actual transformation in your life and an actual transformation in how you walk in your calling. And so if that's you, if you're saying, hey, this was for me tonight, I want to receive this tonight, I actually want to invite you to lift both of your hands because I wanna pray a blessing over you. And I wanna pray that God seals the work that he's done. Father, I thank you for every hand that's lifted right now. Lord, I thank you for the fact that, Lord, these are hands that are being put to the plow for your kingdom. Lord, you said that no one is fit for the kingdom of God if they put their hand to the plow and look back because you know that this is work, Lord. This is a harvest that we're reaping. Lord, this is not just easy work, God, but this is the most important work that we can do. Lord, I know that each and every person with their hands up, God, they don't just have hands, they have hearts. And Lord, you don't just want their hands, you want their hearts. Lord, you care for them, you love them. Lord, you want them to know not just their calling, but who they're called to. Lord, you don't want them to just do work for you. Lord, you want them to know you, to love you, to love you with all their heart and all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. That's the greatest commandment, to love you. So Lord, I pray for an influx of love in their hearts, an influx of love in their minds, an influx of love in their, in their lives so that what they do is from a place of love. And Lord, I pray right now for an anointing to come over this place, God. That you would put a spirit of 
excellence in each and every person that's listening and willing to receive. Lord, I pray that we would be excellent in what we do. God, that your spirit would give us competence. Lord, your spirit would give us understanding. Your spirit would give us wisdom. Lord, I pray that your spirit will make us excellent in the workplace, in the school zones, God. Lord, I pray that your, that your spirit will make us excellent in ministry. Your spirit will make us excellent in our communication, excellent in our family lives, excellent in how we steward relationships. God, I pray that we would have wisdom that comes only from you. Lord, I pray for character to be worked in your people. Lord, I pray for pure hearts, pure minds as a result of your spirit working in us. And Lord, I pray for a committed people. I pray that each and every one of these children of yours will be committed to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will cleanse them from all sin. You said if, if we have sin, if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful to cleanse us and to forgive us, God to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, for each and every person who's been struggling with sin and with shame, God, I thank you that you are faithful. Lord, if they would confess it to you, Lord, and receive your forgiveness, Lord, that you are faithful to forgive them and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray for purity in this place, purity in our minds, purity in our hearts, purity in the way that we speak, purity in everything that we do so that we can properly reflect you, Lord. And God, I just pray that we would stay the course. I pray that we would live the long haul, that what we're learning right now in our young adult years will carry into our 80s like Daniel. Lord, that we will have stories to tell when we're old because of the things that you've done in our lives as we've stayed, stayed committed to you. I pray a blessing over your people in Jesus' name. All right, well, look, we're about to, we're not done. We're about to go into some time of worship and then baptisms. And so look, I wanna invite you, if you need to go, you can go, but I wanna invite you to be present, to stick around. Some of the most transformational things are about to happen, even hearing people's testimonies and the ways that their lives have been changed. I'm very excited about it. And I also believe that each and every one of you guys, you may, you may just need to seal this time a little bit, linger in this time a little bit, pay attention to what God is speaking to you and doing in your heart. Some of you may need to step out and worship him to not just let everything be in your head, but to let it be expressed through your hands, expressed through your singing, expressed through your worship and experience the presence of God. Amen? Let's worship.